It's the holiday edition of the SBI show, and winter moves continue to dominate the off-season headlines. I am Garrett Cleverly. With me, as always, is Ivis Galarsep. What's up, buddy? Happy holidays, Garrett. It's uh, it's about that time uh, for everyone to, to you know spend some time with their families. Uh, you know, pass the presents around, enjoy enjoy some uh, some holiday cheer, and it's also winter time, which means it's time for people to start coupling up and uh, avoid being single for the holidays. You yeah. know about that, right? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I was, I shouldn't have. Oh, I, okay. I don't, why, gonna... why I told you, I'm regretting this already. <laughs> you got to tell it, man. You got to come. You got to. You got to announce it to the world now. You can't. Uh, Garrett, I I became official with with, uh, with a very very nice girl. Uh, on uh, what day is today? Tuesday morning. On Tuesday morning. So, to all the uh, single female listeners of this show, all five of you, I'm sorry to, that you had to be devastated by this news. <laughs> all five of them. Listen, folks, <laughs> just wait till about March, and uh, I'm sure he'll be back on the market again. That that is not true, I, Ivis. But <laughs> um, tons to talk about. Uh, we we on the previous show we talked about all the the moves uh, in the MLS offseason. A lot of the moves happening between clubs. However, the past couple days, there have been some moves outside of Major League Soccer. One of the biggest ones, Clint Dempsey, going back to Fulham. Ivis, kind of go either way on this. I mean, what do you make of, of his move to go back to England? Well, uh, it, no, number one, it's not a surprise, right? right? I mean, I think it, it was understood uh, when he made the move to the Sounders that this was in his contract, that he had this option to go to Europe and play. And, and, you, and I get it. I mean, I think everyone understands it, right? I mean, he wants to go play at a high level. You got a couple of months there before the start of the season, so why not go play in England? Now, I know a lot of people like the move, but at the same time, I think I think there are some question marks here. And uh, you know, I wrote a piece uh, for Goal.com about it and about the fact that you know, while uh, you know he does have these two months that he could do something with, now he's going to miss the entire preseason with the Seattle Sounders, and he has yet to have a preseason with this team and. I think there, I think there's value in a preseason, and there's value in getting to know your teammates, and and he's going to miss out on that. Uh, and and it's not as if he he wouldn't have been busy in January if he didn't go to Fulham. He, you know, he would have been part of the U.S. Uh, January camp that's going to be training in California and Brazil. Uh, so you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a terrible move, but to say it was the only move and to say there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, no question marks. I think that's a little. Off, I, th- I think there are. You can definitely ask some questions of this move. And uh, for me, my que- one big question I have is: Okay, if you're going to have him play two months now, uh, two months of games. Let's say he does play at Fulham and gets regular minutes mm-hmm. and starts at Fulham. We should. Uh, you're talking about. A- well, you don't know that. I mean, it's a new manager now. It's been a few years. You don't know the level that he's going to come back to. That you can't assume it. You can't assume he's going to come right in and start. But let's just say he does. Let's say he starts. He gets games. You're talking about a pretty busy full year for him. And starting off with two tough months in the Premier League, jumping right in the MLS, mm-hmm. I, you know, hopefully going to the World Cup and then coming back to MLS. And guess what? Come November, come yeah. playoff time in MLS, how much is he going to have left in the tank? And that's going to be, you know, there's going to be a question there. I mean, I need, everyone that saw him at the end of this year yeah. uh, saw a tired Clint Dempsey, saw a Clint Dempsey that, that was beaten up and, and was breaking down. And, and I think we could end up seeing that again. So from that standpoint, if you're the U.S. national team, you get like – if you're Jurgen Klinsmann, obviously you love this move because it should exactly. ideally get him better prepared for the World Cup. But at the same time, if you're Seattle Sounders, you're the people paying his his contract uh, to totally ignore the possibility that he could be burning him out 
for for the most important time of the year. I mean, that's something to think about. Absolutely, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think if you're a U.S. men's national team fan, you're you're happy about this move. I mean, you want Dempsey to be playing as many games as possible before the World Cup. But if you're a Seattle Sounders fan, look, if I was a Sounders fan, Ivis, I would be a little ticked off about this. And you're exactly right. Going to England, coming back, then playing Major League Soccer, and then going to the World Cup. I mean, it, it's like you don't even have Dempsey again this year. And if he's tired, like you said, come. Right when they do that playoff push, then then what's the point of even having him again? If I'm a Sounders fan, I'm disappointed. But look, I mean, you and I talk about U.S. men's national team. I mean, this is great for the U.S. men's national team heading into Brazil. Well, that's the thing. Is it great, though? I mean, I don't. It, it, he comes back in March. The World Cup's in June. I mean, I don't know if I don't know why people assume. Oh, hey, these two months are all of a sudden going to magically make him. Uh, make him ready for the World Cup when the World Cup's in June. That's still a ways away. It'd be one thing if he was going to Fulham for the rest of the entire Premier League season. That'd be one thing, but he's not. He's going for two months. Then he has to rejoin a Seattle team that a he doesn't he 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 didn't he's never had a preseason with. B has had major roster overhaul. So now we're talking about guys he hasn't played with. He hasn't played with Kenny Cooper. He hasn't played with uh, Tristan Bowen, Chad Marshall. Uh, you know any, any number of players that or the rookies that they're gonna you know probably bring in. So right away, you have a case of him having to gain that familiarity with these guys. And, and I think people who just ignore that uh, don't realize the importance of a preseason, especially when you're a new player. Uh, take, for example, Tim Cahill. Tim Cahill, I think, mm-hmm. realized the value of having a preseason, and that's why he is taking his preseason with the Red Bulls, why Terry Henry is taking his preseason with the Red Bulls. Like, they, you know, instead of going out on these loans, they, they, they see the value in it. And, and uh, again, I'm not saying it's a bad move. I'm just saying there's another side to it that people have to think about. And 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 I think it when, when it comes down to it, I think it boils down to it. if you're a U.S. fan, you don't care about the Seattle Sounders and what it means to them, yeah. right? Because it doesn't matter to you if you're if you're not a, especially if you're like a Timbers fan or if you're a non-Seattle Sounders U.S. national team fan. All you care about is the World Cup. All you care about is the national team and how Clint Dempsey can get his mojo back, right? And and I can understand that, but there is another side to this, and, and I think you know what at the end of the day it could end up costing Seattle uh, uh, come playoff time. And uh, keeping the theme of players moving to leagues in other countries, Cruz Azul Ivis went in and grabbed three major league soccer players. Kind of an interesting thing. You had, you had a big piece about this on Goal.com. You broke down the Jose Villarreal. I mean, he's going on a loan to Cruz Azul, but they also get Michael Farfan and Rafael Baca. What do you make of this Cruz Azul going in and getting three Major League Soccer players, young guys too, for their teams? Well, it basically was a case of some bargain shopping for Cruz Azul. They have the money to to come in and, and get some prospects. The big one out of that group, though, the gem in that group has to be Jose Villarreal. I think his name being being involved in that was what really turned heads when this story broke late last week. And I think it might have come as a shock to some people that one of the most highly regarded young prospects in the league would be loaned out for an entire year. And and, and I think what people need to realize is that while Jose Villarreal is a promising player, he hasn't he didn't take the leap this year to establish himself as a as a as a reliable go to starter. Like he's ready to make that leap. Uh, to be an, a, an everyday player, like someone like Luis Gill. Luis Gill has established himself already for two years now as a starter in MLS. Villarreal didn't do that. And because he didn't do that, the LA Galaxy had to take stock of the situation, and, and there obviously was interest in Villarreal, and they had to make that decision. Do we hold on to a player who is talented uh, but is probably not going to start for us, probably not going to get a ton of minutes, or do we move him, or do we loan him out, get some money out of it, 
and potentially sell him now. You know, when, when, when his development seems seems like it's it's uh, behind schedule, and, and it's a tough decision, right? But you under, you have to understand why the Galaxy would make that move. If Bruce Arena thought Jose Villarreal could start for his team, he would not be loaning him out. You can you can guarantee that. But uh, you know, just watching, all you had to do was look at last year and the amount of time that Villarreal got at, toward the end of the season mm-hmm. when the games were, were getting more important. Uh, he really only got starts in games when Landon Donovan and Robbie Keane were on international duty. But when you want to talk about in the playoffs against Real Salt Lake, he played a total of 15 minutes in two games total. Uh, I think that the writing on the wall was right there. That, you know, he hadn't developed like people would have liked to see from a player like him with so much potential, has shown some serious flashes of brilliance. But let's take it back to the Under-20 World Cup. You know, he didn't really shine in that tournament. He really didn't. That was supposed to be his coming out party. Uh, for for him as well as Luis Gill and DeAndre Yedlin, a couple other guys, and and he really didn't he didn't make a mark there. And, and I think if you're the Galaxy, the, it, it's not like the Galaxy don't have a wealth of young talent. They have other young prospects: Giassi Zardes, Jack McBean, Oscar Sorto, Raúl Mandiolo, who's coming up the pipeline, mm-hmm. among others. So it's not as if the Galaxy don't believe in young talent, don't have young talent. They have a ton of it, but they had to make a decision on Jose Real. And I know it shocked some people, but you have to look at it objectively, and you can understand why they would make that move. Well, I think for most people, it's the flashes of brilliance that he has. And you're exactly right. I mean, if you look at the LA Galaxy since August... Uh, August 11th, when they uh, when they tied FC Dallas, I mean Jose Villarreal, those 12 games only started in three, and then other games came in, you know, three minutes, one minute, 12 minutes. I mean, not a lot of appearances for him. Uh, but what do you make of the other guys going down to Cruz Azul? Well, I mean, with Bach and Farfan, you had two players who were heading into the last year of their deals, and two players who had been identified as somewhat expendable at, at this point by their teams, Rafael Baca. Two years ago, he was he had a really really good year for San Jose. Really came out came into his own. Last year, he he did he struggled a bit. He didn't really make that same impact with Michael Farfan. Michael Farfan hasn't really done much since his rookie year. Uh, you know when he really stood out and you know made the all you know was added on to the All Star team. But he really hasn't developed into that playmaker that they that the, the union would have hoped he could be. And you know if you have a player who you know you can who's kind of somewhat expendable, only has a year left on his deal. Has, has has made it no secret that he wants to go go abroad. Then how do you not make the move? How do you not sell him while you can get something for him? And and if you're the union, and he and you really didn't see him being a major part of your plans, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, get a transfer, and then use those resources to go get something. Uh, you know, go improve in other areas. So uh, for me, I, I think both of those moves are no brainers because clearly for, for those teams, Baca and Farfan just weren't major parts of their futures. Well, I have a shifting gears and continuing the theme that there is no MLS offseason. The draft is just over three weeks away. It's crazy to think that. And on SoccerByIvis.net, you just came out with your SBI 2014 mock draft version 1.0. Since you are the Mel Kuyper, we always talk about that on this show, you know, hair and everything. Give us a little <laughs> sneak peek, Ivis. Who, when looking at this mock draft, give us some names. Who is your kind of right now number one overall picked in the draft? Well, here's I'm going to break it down for folks in a, in a couple of different ways. When we want to talk about the number one prospect in the draft, the consensus is that Cal defender Christian Dean is that player. He's the number one rated prospect. If you took a consensus of teams around the league, he would he would top any poll in terms of uh, in terms of prospect. We're talking about potential. We're not talking about being able to play right away. Day one, is he the best player to step on the field out of this draft pool? Not saying that, but when you want to talk about 
prospects. We want to talk about uh, potential and, and, and what scouts like to see. Christian Dean is that player. If you want to talk about players that are ready to step in right now, day one, mm-hmm. start for you and, and make an impact as a, as a regular, uh, it, it actually is uh, Christian Dean's teammate, Steve Birnbaum is that player. He's someone who I think projects out to, to be able to step in and start right away. And if you want to ask me who's the most like what, what rookie is going to be the most likely to lead all rookies in minutes, it's going to be Steve Birnbaum. Uh, so you have those two quality center backs. Uh, there's some other players that are still, you know, up in the air as far as where they're going to, whether or not they're going to be in the draft, like UCLA midfielder, Leo Stoles is one Maryland forward. Sheila Schuma is another, uh, but the, these are the players that are in that conversation for the top pick. I know a lot of people have talked about Patrick Mullins and how they think he is or should be the number one pick. I think that's a there's an outside chance of that that DC United pulls the trigger on that. But if you look at the moves that DC's made, they don't really need a Patrick Mullins. You know, they already have uh, wide guy, wide midfielders like Chris Pontius, Nick DeLeon, and then they've added a you know a stable of guys up top now with Eddie Johnson, Fabiana Spindola. They re-signed Connor Doyle now. So they're pretty stacked. They, you know, the fact that they move uh, move Dejan Yakovic, they they uh, they need center backs. So Christian Dean makes the most sense, and, and which is why he is for now the number one pick on uh, in in our latest in our first mock draft. Uh, things no one would have ever said two weeks ago that DC United is stacked, but we talked about how they pretty much added a whole team. Uh, we mentioned Christian Dean though. Is that a guy? Do you think that DC United will take with the number one overall pick though? since they have the number one overall pick. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I've heard all sorts of rumblings that, you know, that they, they would want to take Mullins. Uh, obviously, Mullins is a local product. Uh, but in terms of need and in terms of value, you don't you just don't see uh, the number one pick in the draft used on senior players. Uh, and, you know, if, if you look at, at the mock draft the way I projected it out, Patrick Mullins is going to slip. He should slip uh, just in terms of, of how how – players are, are are rated as pro prospects the thing with Patrick Mullins is and it's pretty simple the kid can play right he's got skills he, he can he can finish he's good technically on the ball but when you're projecting their impact on the next level the quite the big question is where do you play him do you play him at forward is he really have the the tools to to be an impact player as a forward uh if you look at the forwards that have really had success uh, early on in their careers at MLS, it's usually players with some speed to their game. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mullins doesn't really have speed as an element of his game. So if you don't play him up top, where do you play him? Do you play him wide? Is he really someone who's suited to play wide? Is he going to provide you service as a, as a traditional winger? That's a question. It's a big question. So, I mean, I've even had some 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 coaches and scouts tell me that they can project him out as, a, as an attacking fullback. So, I mean, there's that much que- there's that much doubt. He's a player. There's no doubt about it. He's a player. He will go in the first round. He will go in the top ten, possibly in the top five. But as far as the number one pick in the draft, I, I find it tough that I find it difficult to see him being the number one pick. If anything, maybe DC United trades that pick to one of the many teams who love Christian Dean. Uh, looking at, at the draft, and if anyone wants to check out what, what Ivis has, you can go to the website, soccerbyivis.net. It's uh, right on the top headlines. It's the SBI 2014 MLS Mock Draft version 1.0. And I was just looking at the, the list of teams there. Uh, who, who are some teams that are in a really good position to, to make do, do very well with this draft? Well, in terms of picks, uh, teams that are, are positioned to, to, to really take advantage of of the depth in this draft. And, and, I, and I'll repeat it. I've said it before. <clears throat> this draft lacks the, the pure star power of guys that, you know, people love as instant impact guys like a Darlington Nagby or Perry Kitchen coming in or Darren Maddox. 
uh, but it does have depth in terms of players who can make your team, who can get on the field for you. Uh, I think there's value all the way into the second round of guys who can make rosters and who can earn minutes. In terms of teams that are positioned well, I think two teams that stand out, obviously, are the two teams that have multiple high picks. That's the Philadelphia Union and the Vancouver Whitecaps. The Philadelphia Union have the number two and the number six picks. Vancouver has the number three and the number seven picks. And both those teams can absolutely add multiple quality players with those high picks. And if you're the Union and you look at the, the struggles they had in attack, uh, and also now with the departure of Michael Farfan, you, you'd like to think that they're going to try to bolster their midfield. And in, in you know our first mock draft, I have them taking Leo Stoltz from UCLA, Patrick Mullins, uh, who you know from Maryland, who we just discussed. So you know if they could scoop those two guys up, I think they'd be extremely happy. Vancouver Whitecaps in our projection, I have them taking Steve Birnbaum, arguably the best senior in the draft, and then Andre Blake, the best goalkeeper in the draft. So you want to talk about filling two major needs right there. The Whitecaps would be pretty happy if they can walk away with those two guys. And, and, and another team that comes to mind, New England Revolution, coming off a really good year for them. Uh, they're the one playoff team that has multiple first-round picks. And when you think about the year that they just had and then the needs that you know they still kind of have on their team, they could definitely address those needs with the picks that they have. So those are the three teams that you, you want to keep an eye on. And, and I tell you, I tell you what, like, you know, you got to be a pretty diehard uh, uh, MLS fan to really get into like the second round of an MLS draft. But I'll tell you what, I think this year there are going to be some gems in the second round. They're going to, they're going to surprise some people. And you're right. There's always one or two guys that pop up and have pretty good seasons. Uh, moving over to the Americans abroad front, lots of activity and news coming out of Europe. The biggest one, Ivis, Steve Tronolo gets his first start. A guy that we've talked about could possibly play his way uh, onto that plane to head to Brazil. I mean, when you talk about a guy like this, I mean, what a big opportunity for him to, one, come back from an injury and get the Bundesliga start. Right. I, I think we've all been, you know, I think any, anyone who follows the U.S. national team has kind of been waiting to see if and when he'd make his way back into the starting lineup for Hanover and if he'd be able to kind of just regain his place as a, as a regular starter there. And and I've said it before, if he gets back into that role and into that rhythm, into that routine of being a regular starter in the Bundesliga, you have to consider him a very good candidate for the World Cup and also a potential candidate to start for you at the World Cup at right back for Jurgen Klinsmann. Obviously, at his age, there's some questions. You know, as I think you believe he's 34 now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you really want to rely on someone like that. But at the same time, the guy is quality. When he's healthy, he, he, is, he is the class of the position uh, in the national team pool. Uh, I don't think that's a stretch to say. So well, there's a reason Jurgen Klinsmann's willing to wait for him. There's a reason, uh, not, not just his quality on the field, but his leadership in the locker room. He is that kind of important presence. So it's definitely a big day, a big a big step for, for the U.S. team to have Trumbull get back on the field. And this is, again, this is one game but, you know, you, you want to hope that it's the first of many for him so he gets back into a rhythm. Well, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's his first start in seven months, Ivis. It's unbelievable for him. And we've talked about it before. I mean, look, Brad Evans has done a fabulous job. But I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, we, we talked about Jeff Cameron. He could play multiple positions, which that could prevent him from playing right back. So, I mean, Steve Trundle, I mean, I, I would love to, like you're right, the, 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 the expertise, the, the leadership, the everything you can bring it just it looks better than what brad evans could bring or even someone like timmy chandler right i mean he he's he's the guy if he's healthy uh in my opinion if he's healthy and he's playing regularly he he's better than everyone else that, that's in the mix i mean you, not to take anything away from jeff cameron because i think for me jeff cameron's the guy who's really stepped it up and and as much as jurgen klinsman hasn't wanted to to make him the right back i mean it's hard to deny it when the guy's starting at right back 
in the English Premier League on a consistent basis, getting better and better, you can't ignore it. You know, as much as I know Jurgen Klinsmann uh, likes likes his experiments and, and, and likes the Brad Evans move, and that's kind of been his creation, so to speak. The Brad Evans starting right back for the national team experiment is absolutely Klinsmann's. But at a certain point, you have to be realistic and you have to look at your options and say, look, Jeff Cameron's a better right back than Brad Evans, mm-hmm. period. There's no other way to say it. He's probably your guy. And if Jeff Cameron's not your guy, Steve Sarunderlow is your guy. Nothing to take, not to take anything away from Brad Evans, but those guys are just flat out better options at right back. And you know what? If anything, Sarunderlow's uh, return and Jeff Cameron's continued development suddenly make right back a position that's not as scary as it once was. And and, and I think. You know, if all things go well, right back could actually end up being a strength. Well, speaking of uh, Jeff Cameron, I mean, he had the game winning assist this past weekend, and, and it, it, the crazy thing about Jeff Cameron, I mean, his progression for Stoke City has been unbelievable this year. And I think the one thing about him was how well can he perform going forward? Can he contribute to the attack? And I think he's done an excellent job for Stoke City this past year. I mean, you saw with the assist this past weekend against his teammate uh, Brad Guzan in Aston Villa. I mean, he, he is, he's been saying it for for a while now that. Uh, playing for for the new manager at Stoke, Mark Hughes has really helped him to develop his game. Has helped him develop the attacking side of his game. So from that standpoint, I mean, if you watch him on a regular basis at Stoke City, you see a player mm-hmm. gaining confidence at right back. And uh, you know, it's easy to forget just how versatile Cameron is, just how many different positions he's been asked to play. Uh, whether it's been central midfield, right wing, center back, right back. In his career, the guys played all over. Uh, but one of the keys for him and his success is wherever he's getting to play on a regular basis is when he can lock in and really, really show quality at a position. And I think now right back, I think he's put enough time in it now where he's comfortable there. So for me, he's the starting right back unless Toronto can come, come back from his injuries. Really? So you have him. So if, if you had to make the choice, you'd put him at right back. Jeff Cameron. Absolutely. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you? I mean, the guys, he starts there in, a, in one of the best leagues in the world. He is the guy. And you know what? Unless you need him at center back, which at this point you don't, at this point you know, it seems like Matt Beasley or Norman Gonzalez is your tandem, uh, why not put Jeff Cameron at right back? Get him on the field. The guy needs to be on the field. Mm-hmm. And why not put him at the position that he's played for two years now? Uh, moving over to uh, the Netherlands, Ivis. Aaron Johansson, another guy that people are going to be crying to get him on the field, get him on the field, scored his uh, 18th goal in all competitions. Unfortunately, uh, Azed lost, but I mean, Aaron Johansson continues to uh, to dominate uh, the league over there. Well, he's he's finding it in that, no question about it. But you know, you have to ask yourself, what is going on with Azed? Uh, you want to talk about a team that has gone from first place to just plummeting down the standings and. I know U.S. fans, uh, what's interesting to me is like, yeah, look, he's scoring goals, he's gaining confidence, but that team is a mess. And uh, you just wonder what that means for him going forward. And, and as far as selling him, they're not – anyone who still thinks he might get sold in the winter, mm-hmm. give it up, folks. It's not happening. But I think – I just don't think there's any doubt now that, you know, come the summer, especially if he has a good World Cup, you know, he's he's going to be on the move. He's going to be on the move come uh, July and August. And another player, Ivis, who's killing it right now is Tim Howard, leading the charge for Everton. They're fourth right now in the Premier League. They're on a 10-match unbeaten streak. And Tim Howard, Ivis, has been playing on his head. He's been unbelievable this year. I think we said at the last episode that, you know, he's he's having a career year. You can definitely argue that. I know some people would point to his first year at Man United when he was voted to the best 11. Uh, but, I, you know, I remember that year. And, you know, he played well, no question about it. But the player... You see now, just is such a polished player, such a confidence player, confident player, such a mature and poised player that that his game is just really on right now. 
And, and, and you know, I, I know there's these debates and arguments about, is he one of the top goalkeepers in the world? Whenever Jurgen Klinsmann mentions that he's one, he thinks that Tim Howard's one of the top five goalkeepers in the world, you always get a couple of just Sika fans who come out and say, oh, that's ridiculous. How dare you? How dare you put him in that category? And it's like, get over it, folks. The fact is, he's playing some of the best soccer in the Premier League. Premier League, Premier League one of the best leagues in the world. You can't, you, there's no doubt about that. And how many goalkeepers are truly playing better than he is in the Premier League right now? I can't think of many. And, and that isn't a case of uh, being, being prejudiced uh, in favor of American. If you watch him play, you watch Everton play, they have the fewest losses in the Premier League. They have 10 match unbeaten run. And Tim Howard is making key saves every single game. He is getting it done. And and I don't I don't think it is a stretch to say that right now, in terms of the goalkeeper position, he is playing like one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Well, I was speaking of best 11. U.S. soccer named the all-time men's national team best 11. Tim Howard not on it. One guy we did talk about, Steve Tronolo at right back. Two of his teammates, Landon Donovan. Clint Dempsey could also be going to Brazil. Then you have other guys on here. Brian McBride, Eddie Pope, Carlos Bocanegra. Ivis, your thoughts on the list of the guys that you saw included in the all-time best 11 for the U.S. men's national team? Well, I don't think there were any really shocking uh, surprises in the group. I mean, you know, for those who missed it, uh, I'll rattle off the names for you, even though Garrett pretty much just did. But uh, I gave you a few. I'll, I'll give I you gave you a few. More than half. All right, let's go. We got Brad, Brad Friedel, Marcelo Balboa, Eddie Pope. Carlos Bocanegra, Steve Trendolo, Clint Dempsey, Tab Ramos, Claudio Arena, Landon Donovan, Eric Winalda, and Brian McBride. And uh, the only unanimous pick out of that group was Landon Donovan. Uh, you know what? I'd say this. I'd say, you know, there were no shocks for me uh, as far as picks that I would have gone in a different direction. I would have gone different direction than goalkeeper. For me, I think Casey Keller... When you want to take the body of work on the on the U.S. national team, I'm sorry, I got to go with Casey Keller. His body of work for me better. I know the standout uh, event for Brad Friedel that he that his I guarantee you his candidacy is anchored on is that 2002 World Cup. And yes, he was outstanding in the 2002 World Cup, no question about it. I know I was there. Uh, and then people will look at, at Casey Keller's World Cups and say, oh, you know, 98, 2006, two really bad World Cups. And he gets he gets penalized for that, even though it wasn't because of him that the U.S. team was bad in those World Cups. But for me, I just think from in terms of full body of work, whether it's the 95 Copa America, where Casey Keller was unbelievable, uh, to other tournaments that he's take, he's been a part of, I just think Casey Keller, body of work, deserved to be on that best 11. That being said, you can't be too upset about Brad Fiedel. And I would say, I tell you what, if Tim Howard has a big World Cup in 2014, uh, you know what? He all of a sudden you can you can start arguing that maybe he's pushing into that into that conversation. As far as the rest, uh, it's tough to argue with many of them. I know I know some people when it came to the defenders, there were some questions about Paul Caligiuri. Maybe he should have had a spot on there. Uh, I could I could definitely see that argument being made. Although I don't know who you take off because that that foursome is a pretty tough foursome. Uh, that I actually agreed to when when I made I picked my best eleven. That was the back four that that I went with. Uh, as far as the rest, uh, Eric Winalda, Brian Bride, you know, those are kind of the traditional forwards. You can't really be too upset about those guys. Uh, and then Todd Ramos, for me, is a guy who, when you want to talk about talents and most talented players at their peak on the national team, he's one of the most talented players to ever wear a U.S. national team uniform, no doubt about it. But if we're talking about careers, we're talking about the, the work put in in a U.S. national team uniform for the senior U.S. national team, 
I don't think he's on this team. I think for me, you want to take someone like Kobe Jones, uh, you know, I, even I'd say what Michael Bradley, someone who actually led all vote getters among the people who didn't make it. So he he had the most votes of the people who did make the cut, which is impressive considering how young he is. Uh, nothing against Tom Ramos, but for me, I would have put Kobe Jones on. Yeah, Michael Bradley was only uh, only five votes behind Clint Dempsey. Not not that many. If anyone wants to see, the, the U.S. Soccer has, has it on their website, ussoccer.com. Uh, it has a description. It shows who, who got the most votes, and it shows who voted. But you can check it out, though. Uh, I mean, as far as forwards, though, Brian McBride, Eric Winalda, very satisfied with those picks? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to argue. I mean, I think those uh, – and another question is where do you put, put guys positionally? If you decide Clint Dempsey, you want to put him in as a forward, then who do you take out when Alda or McBride – McBride is such a beloved figure that, like, I just don't see how anyone, how he would never, he'd never lose in a popularity contest. On the other hand, it's someone like Eric Winalda. He's so good that even though people might not like him on a personal level, you can't argue with his career. The career speaks for itself. Uh, back, back in his prime, uh, he was he was the guy. He was that he was that kind of talisman, that forward. Uh, you know, he was the leading scorer in U.S. national team history for a while before Landon Donovan came and broke his record. So uh, it's a pretty strong group that was named, and uh, I, I don't think the, any any of it's too controversial. You're not going to have any players come out and complain and, and, and cry that, that they should have been on the team, uh, like maybe some other all-time best 11s. <coughs> oh, solo. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'd say... I'd say this team, it's a pretty solid team. Um, they didn't have a manager. Who would be who would manage this? Out of all the U.S. men's national team managers, who would you pick to lead to lead this team? That's a tough one, you know. I, I'd say uh, that's a tough one. I, you know what? Probably Bruce Arena. Even though the team didn't do well in 06, he still led them to the quarterfinals of the World Cup in 2002 and led them to finish a top in first place in CONCACAF qualifying. For two two separate cycles, so I think you got to go, Bruce Arena. And Ivis U.S. Soccer also announced an all-time best for women uh, for the women's group. Names on the list: Alex Morgan, Abby Wambach, uh, Brandy Chastain, uh, Julie Fowdy. I mean, Mia Hamm on the list. I mean, uh, Ivis, what are your thoughts on on the all the ladies named to the roster? Uh, well, I, I tell you what, I, I didn't have a problem with with, with the selections. It's a pretty straightforward group. I, I know the big kind of controversial point was goalkeeper and and whether or not uh, Brianna Scurry deserved to be selected over Hope Solo and and Hope Solo didn't let it uh you know go unmentioned that she felt that you know it, it went without saying that she should be the person on that list. Now my thing is this, this is what I'm going to point out to some people. There seems to be some question about what exactly constitutes uh these all-time all best 11 uh teams. And and I think there's some confusion because I think some people believe that it should come down to who's been the best who, who who was the best best player in terms of like talent right mm-hmm. and ability but the problem with that is you can't you can't compare generations fairly because let's face it the athletes today are better than the athletes 20 years ago there's no doubt about it there's no question about it so you can't you can't in any sport you can't sit here and say well you know jim brown is not is not as good you know, or let's say as we're talking about Football, you know, Jim Brown is not uh, as good a, a running back as, say, someone today, or, or in the NBA. You know, LeBron James is is like a million times better athlete than than you know Magic Johnson or these, or these other people. You have what you can do is look at their accomplishments, and that's the that's the that's that levels the playing field, right? Because when you, you can't compare athletically uh, a Hope Solo to a Brianna Scurry, you just can't. Hope Solo, if if, if you put Hope Solo in a time machine. And center back 20 years ago, 
she would seem like a freaking nature, just athletically. She'd be so far ahead of the curve athletically from all the other players in that time. You can't compare from that standpoint. It's also, if, if you could, you know, put a team together through all times, yes, you would want present-day Hope Solo over inner peak Brandon Scurry. But Brandon Scurry got the job done. Yep. She won a World Cup. Case closed. Dropped the mic. That's it. Hope Solo, no World Cup yet. So until she gets to World Cup, she's going to miss out on that. Why, well, since this is technically the midweek show, it's the SBI Q&A time. As always, everyone, you can send your questions in on Twitter. Hashtag ask the SBI show. Ivis and I check it all the time. First question comes from Mike DeSico. Uh, he says, poorly worded, so Mike, where's your questions better? But, Ivis, what he's trying to say is that last year people said Dempsey struggled because he had no preseason with this team, and now he's going to have none this year. What's his MLS outlook in the case of Dempsey? Well, I, I, you know, as much as you know, I did raise questions about the move, uh, I, I don't know if that necessarily means he's going to all of a sudden fall apart and not have a good MLS season. I've been saying since he got to MLS that once he gets a break, once he has time off and, and can recharge his batteries, he'll he'll go into 2014 and I think he'll have a big year. Uh, the question are, the question I do have is 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 how much is going to have left in the tank by the end of the year? And, and clearly, you know, when you think about this loan move, it, it does feel a bit as if it's more serving the national team master than it is serving the club side master, uh, you know, it, it, as far as... Um, you know, what's your priority? If you're Clint Dempsey, you know, you can't knock him if his priorities the World Cup, but at the same time, you can't knock Seattle for having some questions or Seattle fans for having some questions uh, about it because, you know, I, I I think from a standard standpoint, I don't think it's a great move for them. Uh, next question comes from Chris Howard. You still think Altidore to Sunderland was a good move, then he does hashtag about as good as World Cup to Qatar. Or cutter, actually, yeah, everyone's a, everyone's a comedian. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. <laughs> I actually, I actually do think it's a good move. And here's my question, right? Mm-hmm. I know it's easy because look, I know some a lot of people uh, had questions about the move and ripped the move before when it went down. I know there were some question marks, and there were some valid question marks. But here's what it boils down to, and why I still think it's a good move. What would you rather have? Would you rather have him fighting for playing time and competing against the best defenders in the world? And playing in one of the toughest leagues in the world, or would you rather have him continuing to play in a league where he clearly is better than the competition? He crushed it in the Dutch league. He had nothing left to prove. What? How would it have made him better than what he's going through now? Is it pretty that Sunderland's at the bottom of the table in the Premier League? No, it's definitely not pretty. But you know what is good? What's good for Altidore is competition. What's good for Altidore is being pushed. That's good for any athlete. Any athlete, get them out of their comfort zone. Get them to push themselves to a new level. This is all we hear about from Jurgen Klinsmann. You want to test yourself at a higher level, and you want to continue to keep pushing yourself to see how high and how far you can go. You, Josie Altidore did that with this move, and it is still doing that for him, right? It'd be one thing if he is sitting on the bench at Sunderland and never playing. He is getting games, folks. He's getting starts. Has he had a few times where he's been he sat on the bench or he's missed out? Yes, that's the case. But that doesn't all of a sudden make it a terrible move. The fact is he's played a bunch of games and, and some really, really tough games against some really, really good defenders. What's going to get him better prepared for the group of death at the World Cup than that? I can tell you what, playing in the Dutch League isn't necessarily going to do it. Uh, for what for where he is in his career, it's different when you want to talk about an Aaron Johansson, a younger player, he's developing. 
and he's already taken the step up from from smaller leagues to the Dutch league. It's a natural progression. Josie Altidore, it was time for him to make the move. And I think it's way too easy for people to look at this move and say, oh, what a failure. What, what a disaster. And you know what? I guarantee you a lot of the people saying that now are people who said that beforehand and have completely bought into it, and they want to be right so badly that they ignore the fact that it is helping him in in some ways. All this all this idea that, oh, his, his confidence is being shattered because he's on a bad team, like, that's crap, folks. Joe Altidore is not crying in bed every night because his team's at the bottom of the table. He is getting games in the big, one of the biggest leagues in the world, if not the biggest, and he's playing against the top teams in the world, and he's getting paid pretty well. I don't think he's complaining. I think he, it's. I think he's getting what he wanted to get out of it. Would it be better if they were not in the relegation zone? Would it be better if they were in the 16th place or 15th place instead of 20th place? Of course it would be better. But that does not make it a bad move, period. Uh, next question I have is, comes from Josh Weber. What is DC? Uh, I'm sorry, DC United's biggest potential need now heading into the winter window, assuming they draft Christian Dean. Uh, that's that's a good that's a good question. You know, I, I think uh, getting a Bobby Boswell. You know, if you get, let's just say they keep the pick, they they draft Christian Dean. I don't, I don't. You know, I've said it earlier. Chris Dean, from a potential standpoint, could end up being a really, really good player. Is he someone who's going to step in and start on day one? I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. I think you could still see. Bobby Boswell and Ethan White as your day one starting center backs for DC United. So left back is a bit of a position of concern. Obviously, they drafted a left back in the first round last year, Taylor Kemp, uh, someone who's still, you know, it remains to be seen where, where he's going to be. I don't think they're going to give up on, on him just yet. Um, but, you know, bringing in a veteran there might not be the worst thing in the world. Uh, also right back, you could have questions about, you know, getting go getting yourself a veteran right back. Um, but as far as the river, Rest of the field, obviously, Perry Kitchen, defensive midfield. Uh, playmaker Luis Silva's your guy. Do you want to get an impact player there? Maybe that's an area you could look at if the, if they could get themselves a quality designated player, uh, an attacking midfielder, someone who could be on the level of a Diego Valeri. I think that could help. I know Luis Silva's there, and I know he's a good player, but if you can go get yourself a serious upgrade, I think that's the place you want to look. Another area you could talk about is on the wing. Get yourself a winger who can provide some service for Eddie Johnson. I think that's something uh, that, that needs to be considered as well because, as I've said, I just don't know if the service is going to be there for Eddie Johnson to really produce it to his best potential. Uh, so, you know, th- there's still some areas of need there. DC is by no means done uh, tinkering with that roster. Uh, next question comes from Scott Utterson. As a LA Galaxy season ticket holder, why should I be at – why? Oh my god! Why I can't read today, Evans. The question is: Why should I at all be pleased about moving Villarreal to Mexico? Well, uh, you know, we we discussed it earlier. You know, if you listen to that part, uh, Scott, you know, Jose Villarreal, talented young player. He, he's exciting to watch. You know, he shows you those glimpses of maybe what he could be. But where is he in his progression and his development? If you're the LA Galaxy, you're thinking about 2014, right? You're thinking about what helps you for this year. If they can go, if they can move him, if they can put send him on loan, and get him some games, uh, and maybe not with Cruz Azul because he could end up playing in the second division with Cruz Azul's reserve team. Uh, that's something that needs to be looked at as well. If he can develop there, uh, and then come back, then that helps. Or if he develops there and then Cruz Azul decides to buy him, uh, then all of a sudden you have some money going into 2015. I think what it boils down to is Villarreal is not is not the 
superstar in waiting that I think some people were hoping that he would be. He's at least he's not close to being that yet. And I know there's that fear, like, oh my God, we're doing this is Mike McGee 2.0. We're getting rid of a guy who's gonna crush it and just be a star in Mexico now. You know what, folks? Take it easy. I don't see it happening. Cruz Azul is a big spending team. They have star players at positions that, that Jose Villarreal would most likely play. He's not going to Cruz Azul to start, folks, at best. I think the best case scenario for him at Cruz Azul would be to be a, a, a bench option, Some, you know, be kind of an instant offense guy off the bench. A team like Cruz Azul can have that luxury of a guy like that. If you're the Galaxy, though, and you can, and you can turn around and sell him, uh, I can understand why they would consider doing that. Uh, I guess the final question, we, we somehow missed this one on the uh, when we prepped for the questions, but comes from Aaron Flynn. I'm going to put you on the spot right here. He asks, what is your favorite game of 2013 in American soccer? And this could be MLS, USL, NASL, U.S. men's national team. It could be anything. Uh, yeah, I have no idea, dude. I, I'll, I'll say mine while you think of yours. Mine, I mean, clearly when, when the academy team won the U16 national championship. So that, that's mine. So your turn now. Oh, my goodness. Know, what a cop-out, right? That doesn't count. That, what, that's, no, 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 that no, no, counts. No. Yes, it does. you got to say professional, professional game. Professional international game. None of this work-related crap. Stop <laughs> plugging your account, goddammit. Uh, I'm right. not. That was okay. Fine, fine, fine. My greatest moment was uh, watching. I think the point more. I think the point more is best game quality wise, not game that you were emotionally attached to. <laughs> of guys in it that you actually are close with. That's different. So go ahead, Garrett. You give me a give me a game. Uh, I gotta think of one. I gotta think of one now. Do you have one? Uh, you know, it's a tough one. Uh, I, I'm, it's. Uh, so many games this year, so many games and so many great environments that I, that I was lucky enough to go to. Uh, you know, USA Panama in Seattle was pretty memorable. USA Mexico in Columbus. You know what? I tell you what, I think USA Mexico and Columbus, I, I think once again, uh, stands out for me as just a, a memorable game. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with that one. I would say... Uh... And, and, I, I, will, I will say this honorable mention for me since you're still thinking. Uh, Portland... Uh, Portland beating Seattle in the playoffs, uh, just that atmosphere gelled when was something else. And then Portland losing to Real Salt Lake in the in the West final and the in the reaction from Portland's Timbers fans after their team was eliminated. Uh, the roar of that crowd was just just jaw dropping. So I think those just memorable moments, those are those stand out for me. But I think the USA Mexico game is the one that just comes to mind for me as, as the game of the year that I was lucky enough to be at. Okay, mine, I did not go to, I, I didn't go to, I didn't go to these games, but mine are, I, I missed the win. The U.S. men's national team defeated Bosnia and Herzegovina. That, that's one of mine. And the other one is the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, Portland Timbers game, the second to last game of the season when they scored the, I think, was it four goals in the final 10 minutes of the game? I can't remember how many goals it was, but that game was, that game was insane. Yeah, that one, uh, I was in Peru at the time, so I, I wasn't able to, to fully enjoy that one. Uh, so, yeah, I'm trying to think. There, there were so many good games this year. So many, uh, I'm sure we'll think of some as soon as, as soon as we stop recording. Qualify. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. The USA-Mexico in Mexico, the 0-0, that was a pretty uh, was dramatic cool. game. And, uh, and just seeing Azteca silenced uh, and, and hearing the, actually being able to hear the USA fans chanting in Azteca. Which was, ne- I mean, I've been at Azteca for qualifiers uh, three times now, and I had never, ever, 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 ever heard U.S. fans like be. A- I've never been able to hear 
U.S. fans chanting in Azteca until this last March. Oh, hey, oh, wait a minute. How could I forget? The snow game. USA Costa Rica. The snow game as a spectacle was 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 uh you got that's got to be on the list. And you know what? I'm gonna have to make a list now. So you, well, then you got to add the U.S. Jamaica when uh, Brad Evans scored the uh, the game winning goal in stoppage time. No, no, you had to put that one there too. Stop it. Oh, really? Not even close. Not even close. Yes, it is. Snow game. Snow game is an all time epic event. Like I'm sorry, no one remember. No one's in five years. No one's gonna remember. Brad Evans scoring to beach make it. No one. But I am because I didn't. I didn't watch the snow game. Well, I watched the Jamaica game, so I'm going to well, remember the Jamaica game. Yeah, but you, know, you picked an academy game first, so you don't even count. That, what are you talking about? That counts. <laughs> it was played. It was played in the Houston Dynamo Stadium. No it was cares. legit. No one cares. Hey, hey, right, hey. Right. it's a, right. it said etc. The question from the guy said etc. At the end of it, that applies for everything. I mean, we could have gone into high school if you wanted. Why don't you just to. start talking about your FIFA games that you won? How about that? Oh God! When I beat Franco, oh my God! Any everyone play Franco on FIFA? He loses. He he loses his mind when he loses. It's uh, it's quite hilarious. <laughs> I love how you. I love how we talk about Franco uh, just with one name, as if everyone knows who we're talking about. I have, come on, everyone should know, right? It's Franco Panizo. Everyone knows that. Panizo, our SBI lead writer slash whipping boy, who Garrett loves to talk, talk about. Uh, yeah. So now nah, you know what? Uh, yeah, the snow game. U.S., Mexico, and Columbus, those stand out for me. And, and hey, you know what? Hey, how about, how about MLS Cup for being just unbelievably cold? I mean, come on. No, that was horrible. That was like the worst. Ah. That, was, that was horrible. That, that whole trip. I mean, Kansas you City. Couldn't, you also couldn't walk that day. So Kansas, City is, like, Kansas City looks like such a cool city. Like, I, I want to go back. But, like, it was so cold. It was so miserable. I don't know how you people do it. I mean, look, I'm looking out the window right now. I'm letting you know. It's sunny, not a cloud in the sky, and 75 degrees. That's how I'm spending my winter. I mean, why don't you guys want to do that, too? You guys are crazy living in 30-degree weather. 30? I would have taken 30 on MLS Cup Day. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, too. Like five Dude, the best is when All the right. guy gave me the soda, and he's like, he's like, it's already frozen. I was like, really? The soda was frozen. Everything was frozen at the MLS Cup. It was horrible. It was great. <sighs> <laughs> All right, Ivis. All right, man. Well, dude, that wraps up our Christmas special. I need to let you go. You need to get back with your family. I need to get back to the kitchen. You know, all that good stuff. Kitchen? Were you making a meal for your new girlfriend there? No, 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 no. Please, my both my grandmas are in town, and there's tons of food in the kitchen. Except I get kicked out because I I pick nice. and everything. So. All right, man. So this is it for us. The next show is going to be show number 100. Yes, it is. 100 show extravaganza. What do we have planned for it? I don't know. I got to get on the horn of some guests because I want to I want to have uh, I want to have uh, like four or five guests and have short segments just talking about the year. Maybe they could talk That's- about what, what, what we should do is we should get them on the show and they should congratulate us on being on 100 shows, even if they don't listen to the show. We should just make it all about us. Yes, I think that's what we're going to do. Like, we'll give them a sheet. You know, they can always say, like, you know, hey, you guys are so great. You're so funny. You know, you're so <laughs> good looking. I mean, we're not really stretching the truth. You know, we're just, well, we are. We are. It's the truth, but we're stretching it a little, I guess. We'll rattle it off. We'll rattle it off. All right, man. All right, Ivis. Well, man, you have a uh, you have a good rest of the day, man, and I'll, and I'll talk to you later this week, all right? All right, man. Same, uh, Merry Christmas, my man. Yes, same to you as well. And to everyone else, if you're not celebrating Christmas, happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the show. This is The SBS Show. <laughs>